Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. M.S.W. Media. What's up, guys? This is Dustin Poirier, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun Let's do a little thinking Some picking and a drinking But this is what we're drinking with and done Oh, yeah <laughs> The... Summer of 2000 was a, a real transitional one, a period in my life. I was making a big move to Southern California, where I still reside to this day, 23 years later. But that was, uh, I, I'd been sort of nomadic for about a year or two before that, bopping around between Colorado, Arizona, Philadelphia. But I was making the move. And just prior to that move, I'd been invited on a uh, rather uh, cool press trip over to uh, Europe. Well, I, I can't even remember, and, and my guest who I'm going to bring on in a second, maybe he'll help me, but I don't it was one press trip that I then parlayed in several other elements to make it one big, gigantic press trip. And I enlisted one of my, my old dear friends... Uh, to come along, join me over there for this little adventure that we were on. And, and he did, and he was able to do so on a moment's notice for reasons that we'll, we'll talk about. But uh, I haven't seen him in a long time, but it's so great to be seeing him, even though, albeit over Zoom right now, one of the legendary Phoenix, <laughs> Phoenix radio broadcasting legend, Dead Air Dave Cezino. How are you, man? It's good to see you, man. It's, it's great been so to lucky. see you. Yeah, it's been I, too long. We might have traded a few emails over the years, or I know on your birthday. Yes. I always send you a message because the trip we're going to talk about took place on your birthday, birthday in which 2020. The anniversary of that was last week. So that's what I brought know, it up. Man. That's how this all started. Dave sent me a note and I hit him up and it was like, man, we got we to gotta talk about this trip because this was, I've been on a lot of uh, press junkets in my life but this one was epic. an epic mix of wonderful and <laughs> what the fuck is happening right now and uh and are we going to make it out of this situation alive i mean talk about winging it i it and like you said you really it, we kept tumbling the parlay on this thing um <laughs> You were going over for the Martini and Rossi World Bartending Competition in Turin. Yes, in Turin, Italy. And, and uh, you had been on my radio show a couple of times. We, we came up with this great idea 
that Dan was writing a column for a, a newspaper in town. In Phoenix. In Phoenix, yes. We were back in Phoenix. And um, and we figured it would be great on uh, Friday for Dan to come on and basically rant about that week's column on the air. And, uh, and we had a good time doing that. And uh, and then there were a couple of times where you were going to come on for a different publication or something, and you called me up the day you were supposed to come in, and you're like, I don't think I'm coming in. Why is that? I'm fired. I got fired. And I go, <laughs> well, okay, that works. Yeah. Well, then somewhere just shortly before this trip that you were going to take to tour in Italy, um, the radio station I was working flipped format. And of course, as radio does, everybody's wiped out of the place. Everybody's fired. And you get no notice. There's zero notice. No, no. Never They're like, hey, guess what? Today we're going to go from playing uh, Queens of the Stone Age to Britney Spears and you're all out. Um, but I was also at the time working at the news talk station in town. As their entertainment correspondent, I would go in and do movie reviews and talk about other pop culture things. And so Dan says, well, dude, if you're not working, I'm heading to Italy. You want to join me in Italy for this thing. I'm thinking, great. So I do. And a little more backstory is at the time I was dating a United Airlines flight attendant. So she has these privileges and she's like, hey, use my privileges and you can fly. And I got to fly in, you know business class, but everything's standby. It was kind of iffy. Again, like you're saying, it was a trip of a lot of things were big maybes. So I get in and, but before I, before I leave, she's like, well, what's your itinerary? I said, I'm going to go meet Dan and Turin, Italy. And she that was said, it. And by, and by the way, to set the table for you youngins back, back, this is the summer youngins. of 2000. There is internet. But there are no iPhones. Oh, yeah. There are no GPS on your phones. There's your connectivity was low. Like there, yeah, you yeah. weren't able to instantly be able to contact people and find out where you're going. There was no MapQuest. None of this no, existed. People purchased paper maps, and you had to f- unfold a paper map. Or and let's find go. Remember the Let's Go book? You'd be like, let's, let's open it up, go. and oh, this seems like a cool spot. Let's go here. It was a different time, kids. Different yes, time. yeah. We yes. didn't have the world at our fingertip by clicking on your phone. And uh, my girlfriend looks at me. She's like, you are a fucking moron. <laughs> she goes, you're going to get lost. Do you think you, where do you think you're going? I, people will not be able to talk to you. You won't be able to read signs. And I'm like, ah, you know, I think it's going to be okay. <laughs> and so I go and I figure out from the airport, which is miles and miles, or in that case, kilometers and kilometers away from downtown where uh, we're staying. Uh, I, I flew, well, the, I Turin, in, the Turin Palace Hotel was where we yes. were staying. Okay, yeah. I flew into Milan. So I had to get from Milan to Turin. And I remember I go to the big uh, train depot and I walk in and there's a couple of guys working behind this counter. I mean, it couldn't have been more stereotypical, Dan. They're smoking cigarettes while they're working. Of course. Wearing wife beater undershirts. As you do in Italy. And you, I, and, and there's no such thing as a line here in the folks who have not traveled abroad. Let me tell you, the United States is the crown prince of people orderly waiting in line for things. There was just a mob of people waiting to get to the counter, pushing to the counter. And little old ladies were the worst. They come through elbowing you and hitting you with their purses to get through, to get to the front desk. I finally get my way to the desk and the two guys are sitting there looking at me, pulling on their cigarettes. And I said, yeah, I need a train ticket, please to uh, Turin. And the guy looks at me, eh? I said that to Turin. <laughs> Turin? Ah. So yeah, yeah, Turin, Italy. Mm, and he, bub- he, he nudges his other buddy there with the twin wife beater on and says, you Turin? And the guy goes, nah, Turin. 
no, there's no such thing as Turin. I'm like, what the hell is this? Torino. So yeah, I have to go. I go out and I buy a map, an Italian map. Yes. And I open up the map and I look and I see Torino. I get back into the mob, finally get back up to the same guys. You know they recognize me. Oh, yeah. And I say, I'd like a train ticket to Torino. Oh, yeah, Torino, Torino, yeah, yeah. And they're stamping the ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, what were the chances that they'd never heard Turin before? Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> they're just ratting fucking me all the way around. Fucking with you, yeah. So I get on the train. I'm riding along. And... You know, I mean, I'm just sitting by the window and, and the trains there again, a madhouse windows are randomly left open or closed. Curtains are blowing out the window <laughs> while you're going down the track. No one asks for a ticket, but then randomly the, uh, the, 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 I don't, didn't look like a conductor looked like the police coming through with like dogs and randomly just asking you for a ticket. Like, Oh God, you better have that ticket. And, uh, I, I I'm getting close to, uh, Torino. And I'm, I have no idea where to get off the, tr the train. And so I'm just looking out the window. Well, this stop looks too rural. I'm going to stay on. We're going along, along, along. Next stop. Yeah, this looks like it's too uh, residential. Stay on it again, again, again. Finally, I get into a place where I'm starting to see concrete. And, and the train station was underground at this point. It stops. And I'm looking out the window. And it's just a dark concrete staircase. And I think... I'll get out here. So you're just throwing darts at the board at this point. You're like, Absolutely. I have no idea. The whole time hearing my girlfriend's screeching voice in my head, you are a moron. You don't know how to travel anywhere. And I walk out of the train, walk up that concrete staircase, and I glance across the street, and there's the Turin Palace Hotel. There it is. <laughs> All is well. All is well. Everything's fine. Well, I had my own adventures. I flew Air France over there uh i don't remember exactly where i flew into but they lost my luggage this dave <laughs> dave would become intimately familiar with it. and not only did they lose my luggage they were never finding my luggage my luggage was gone it was never coming back uh, so basically i'm you know i'm in the room and i've got a pair of sweatpants you know and uh they don't allow sweatpants at the at the hotel restaurant i couldn't even go down and eat i had no i had no clothes so I'm waiting for, for Dave to get there. But before you even got there, I think I ran into, this was a weird one, Giovanni Rabisi. Do you remember this? No, I was there for that. You were there? Okay. I was there for that. The actor Giovanni Rabisi was making a movie <laughs> in Turin, and he was staying in our hotel. Now, I knew him a tiny bit. Like, I'd met him, I think, or something like that. You, you know his mom, right? Yeah, Gay Rabisi. His mom was a manager, and I know his sister. Yeah. I knew his sister. Yes, okay. um, All right. Marissa. I didn't know him well, but I run into him and I says, Hey, wait, this is weird. You're in this tiny pocket of it and then run it. And oh, hey, what's up, man? And he says, uh, Hello, scusi, uh, scusi, I uh, know you. And he's talking, you know, and I'm going, what, What's happening right now? So he. <laughs> <laughs> he starts uh, feigning recognition, I land, but I'm he's like, hey, uh, my friend, he's uh, going okay, uh, and he's kept going like, how you say, how you say, uh, enjoying, it? and I'm like, dude, why are you talking like that, right? <laughs> and and it turns, out, it turns out he's in a, exactly right, he's in a movie, and he's playing an Italian who barely understands English, and so he would not break character, and I... <laughs> 
found this, and I'm sure you found it very funny as well. Um, okay, so that that's going on, and then I think did we go get pants first? Was oh, that- wait, 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 wait. The one last thing about I mean, not to be disparaging toward the fine actor that Giovanni Ribisi is, yes, but but his Italian characterization was no better than anybody who does a bad Italian accent telling a joke somewhere. It was throw ah at the end of every word. How uh, you say ya? Uh, <laughs> If you did it now, the anti-defamation league or the anti-Italian defamation league would be like, what the fuck's happening right now? You couldn't even do what he was doing then. No, uh, no. So we, I think, were pants up next? I, I remember going to a store and yes. I tried and, to buy yeah. some, I tried to buy <laughs> some jeans. And, I will uh, tell you, as, a, as, a, as just a, a, stand, you know, a bystander in this whole transaction, this is where Dan Dunn made the biggest mistake. Mm-hmm. He felt as though... Pant sizes were universal around the globe because you chose to not even try them on at the store. You just go, where's my size? This is my size. Sans fitting. Now, in the interest of consumer safety, I'm going to present you with a travel tip. Never, ever, ever purchase Italian-made men's jeans without trying them on first because here's the thing. They're made for unusually thin men that don't have hips or testicles. And if you have (laughs) hips... Or testicles. Or testicles. It's advisable to just... So let's say, for example, a inept French airline has carelessly lost your luggage, right? <laughs> and that's it. And you buy these jeans and put them on. And I remember we went... Now, now we can go to where we end up going, which was this place called Restaurant Del Cambio. And that was uh, built in seven... And by the way, just so you know, my memory shot... I, I chronicled this in my first book. Nobody likes a quitter, so I'm referencing the book to you remember went back the place. Read your book, yeah. So it, of course, yeah. yeah. Nobody else your read book it. Like a cliff note. I'm the third person reading it right now. Um, so <laughs> it was built in Restaurant Del Cambio was built in 1757. Uh, famed architect Antonio Bellino. I'm sure you remember all this day from the trip. Yes, and it's a beautiful yes. place. I mean, a beautiful place. A, a, Gorgeous. Lo- located across the street from the first Italian Parliament. I mean, this was the spot. For the biggest incredible classic architecture, incredible, and, and there was a oh, the legend beautiful. there, the Count Cavour. He was credited with unifying Italy, and there's a little quote I have here. They said Cavour spoke Italian, thought in French, and dined Piedmontese style at Del Cambio. This was his very favorite restaurant in the world, according to the head waiter. So here we are. We're at this dinner, and it's. It's nice. It's a beautiful thing. And we should make note at this point. Yes. And we've already jumped from the, uh, was this in Turin or was this, in, this was in Florence. Were we in Florence no, at this Turin. one? No, no, this was in Turin. Yeah. Uh, Turin still. Yeah, we're okay. still in Turin. Because we were still at the, at the Martini and Rossi. We're still yeah, there. Martini we haven't, which is a whole nother thing in itself. So we're still there. And then in comes an account, not Count Cavour. Yes. Count Cavour's dead. This was Count Ascancio. Escancio, of the Martini and Rossi family. Martini and Rossi, owned by Bacardi to this day. They were hosting this thing, the International Bartending Competition. One of the big things that was going on was this was when flair bartending was happening, right? I mean, there were a lot oh, of flair yeah. bartending. Bottles so were flying everywhere. Instead of pouring you drinks, they juggled them. You know, like, so that's what was going exactly. on. So that's what we were doing over there. Um and anyway, we're so we're at this dinner, and it is. I mean, Escancio's is a cool cat, right, Dave? I mean, dashing. He was very dashing. Oh, the, yeah, like textbook dashing. Yeah. And, and he spoke with the accent that Giovanni Ribisi could not replicate. That's right. 
And it was amazing. He was large and in charge, this guy, right? He comes in. So, and he, you could tell this is not a man that you would trifle with. You know what I mean? He just, he's fucking, and, and, and he was, he's a count, he's royalty. And he was treating the staff, uh, as you would expect, you know, old school European royalty (laughs) to treat the staff. Not a lot of respect. Okay. Not in his, you know, not, not going on there. So at one point we're having the most incredible meal. And then out comes dessert. And this mm-hmm. is just a beautiful dish. It's this large yellowish gelatin mold that has vibrant red and blue berries suspended inside. It was it was a, it was, a marvel. It was amazing. It was like it was crystalline. This gelatin was just crystalline and these berries were suspended in it. And we were amazed by it, right? They brought it out and we were like, wow. Amazed, but the, the count, artistry. the count on the other hand, no, lifts his plate no. up. He's looking at this quivering gelatin mold very suspiciously. <laughs> and he's like, he looks angry, right? And <laughs> he, it was the classic snap of the fingers. He, he snaps right? his finger and the head waiter scurries over because everybody's afraid of the count. And the, and the count was unhappy. And he says, go ahead, you do it. What is this... Uh... This trembly cake, you bring my guests to the <laughs> trembling cake. cake. The Trem- trembling cake. <laughs> and then he goes on to expound over the fact that uh, that this is home to some of the finest chocolates. Chocolates in the world. Anywhere. <laughs> Why would you bring my esteemed guests from around the globe trembling cake? He says, and he has them quickly take with it away. snap. 15 servers come out in force and pick up all the plates immediately and scurry away with them. That gelatin was taken to a landfill and throw, you've never seen from again, never heard never from again. again. And then they, they just, and on cue, they whip out these chocolates like they had them ready. Man. Like somebody knew the yeah. count wasn't going to be happy with the trembling cake. So there is that when we had trembling cake. Now, Dave mentioned, are we in Florence? So I should also point out at this, uh, you know, at this juncture, I talked earlier about how I combined press trips. So when I was going over to Europe, at that period of time, it was uh, BMW had just purchased the Mini, yes. you know, the Mini Cooper. And um, I, the magazine that I was writing for happened to also, to doing the piece on the international bartending competition, also happened to do a lot of car stuff. So the guy says to me, the guy from the magazine said, hey, do you want to drive a, an old Mini Cooper, 1966 Mini, wait, wait, what exactly? Let me say, I got to it. To this day, it makes no Mo- sense. Here it is. It's a 1966 yeah. Morris Mini Cooper S. That's the car. And, original, and they want me to drive this to across Europe to recreate this movie called The Italian Job, which would later get remade. I think Mark Wahlberg was in it, right? Or, but this I was a movie right. from the 60s starring Mark Michael Caine. And they're like, you could take this car. In, we'll drop it off in Turin, and you can drop. And we're I, my ultimate destination. Our ultimate destination was London, so we're going to take right. this car through Italy, France, into London, and it's ours. We can do with it what we want, and amazing. <laughs> so we so we have that thing. And, and just so you know, they they show up with the car, and it's got a uh, an unusual feature to it. It's got a Union Jack, the British flag, painted across the top, right. We would later find out that not everybody in Europe is as fond of the British as the British are of themselves. So, okay, so now now we're setting, we have this car. Here's another point on the car. Yeah. Again, another very European thing. We're out in front of the palace waiting for it, the Turin Palace Hotel. 
the guy pulls up in the mini, doesn't even park it. He like double parks it. You know, he's, it's still in, in the street. Jumps out of the car and says, Dan Dunn. Dan raises his hand. The guy throws the keys to him for you to catch, gets into another vehicle and leaves. No one's signing a piece of paper. Nothing. No one's documenting anything. You say you're Dan Dunn. Here are the keys. See ya. And then off they go. Had Dave been walking up from the subway at that very moment and got to the top and they said, Dan Dunn, and you just raised your hand because you knew me, they would have threw you <laughs> the keys. And you could have just, the keys yeah, just dri- driven off. Before we get to the rest of our adventure here, Dave, anything else happen in Turin that, that I'm missing? Uh, well, from Turin, we went, uh, we went to Tuscany for the, uh, the Rufino winery. We went to Via Via Reggio. Was that the name? Is of that the, what it was? That's, that's All I remember was uh, I almost started an international incident of the many that I almost started on this uh, tour. When um, when we went to a little uh, incredible, like turn of the century, what used to be stables made out of stones that was converted to a restaurant. To which, after we'd been in you know Italy for a few days, I sort of had a hankering for a Coca Cola. After all that incredible wine tasting, I ask for a Coke. The waitress brings me a Coca-Cola, room temperature, with one lone ice cube bobbing in it. And I remember saying to her, may I have more ice? To which she just said, no. (laughs) And then our host, our host from Dr. Rufino, again, much like Count, looks at her, shoots her a look. She read it immediately. She scurried away, comes back. Not with a cup of ice for me, an ice bucket full. Oh, and then I felt like, obliged yeah. to use every single cube. <laughs> well, wait, I do think we. And are... I think that was on our that was on our way out of, of Turin. Well, I, I feel like when we were going out of Turin, and yeah. we'll have to be delicate about how we tell this story. But something did happen. We were waiting at oh, a yes. light, and okay, another thing about this uh, about this car, it's a little tiny Mini Cooper S. Dave is how tall are you? A six four. Six four. The steering wheel, this being a British car, the steering wheel is on the right side where the, where the passengers would be in the, in the States. But in mo- the rest of Europe, it's just like it is over here. So we're driving on the, we're driving on the wrong side of the car, I guess. Well, and when I say we, I mean me, because what we discovered when the car was dropped off was Dave was too tall to fit in, in drive the car. His knees could would not... not get my legs under that steering wheel. No way. My knees. You know, this were... was a 1966. This didn't yeah. ha- you couldn't move the wheel like you can now up and down. It was it was stuck where it was and it wasn't right. going anywhere. And and I remember Dave got in and he's I thought he was fucking around because he, you know, he said, I can't drive. I can't I can't get my legs yeah. under the wheel. And I'm like I have to drive. This was how long we're we going for ten days? Like is that, yeah. like, I gotta drive the whole trip? Yes. <laughs> motherfucker all right so we're driving out of town stop at a light and this uh young italian like sort of homeless kid i guess comes up just like we anybody from new york would remember this with the squeegee bottle and he starts squeegeeing this brown liquid onto the windshield he's going to clean the window to get and we don't have any money we don't know even know how to we don't understand how the money works we're doing the universal waving our hands going no 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 and then he just looks at the roof and he sees yeah. the Union Jack and he says, yeah. oh, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase what he says. Yeah. He says, oh, you are English. English. And we're like, well, we're not, but okay. And, and then he says, that makes you, and he used the N word on us, yeah. called us the N word. Yeah. 
And I remember, and then turned and like spit on the car, I think, and then walked away. And I, mm-hmm. I said to Dave, did we just get uh, slurred? Two, we were two white we were, guys from the states. We we were we racially got it, slurred. We were racially profiled. <laughs> racially slurred. It was uh, it was jarring to hear it. It's jarring to hear it anywhere. It's really jarring to hear an Italian guy called. We're two of the whitest motherfuckers that, that ever lived, <laughs> and we're like, I guess that's a the different. They use the word differently over there. I don't know. At least back or then, or just don't be English. Yeah, apparently, don't be English. All right. So the other thing about before we got out of town, yeah, yes. I mean, I think shortly right after that episode, we're driving around. And again, like Dan said, we're in a strange car. The steering wheel's on the wrong side, but we have to drive on the correct side that we're used to. So we're all screwed up. And then the guys on mopeds in turn are like swarms of bees. It's never one guy on a moped. It's like 12 guys on a moped zipping around, just weaving through traffic. And Dan's constantly breaking. He's like, I'm the son of a bitches. I'm going to fucking hit one eventually. Sure as shit. You go to make a right turn and a swarm cut between the car and the curb and you catch the last one. And he splays across the hood of the mini. That's right. I forgot. <laughs> I hit somebody. <laughs> and in true Italian fashion and completely not American fashion, no one's whipping out insurance cards. Instead, he jumps up. He is spewing, oh, the, I'm sure the foulest Italian words we've ever heard. And he's given us the thumb and the teeth and the hand under the chin. And he's just screaming and yelling at us. Dan decides to play, uh, you know, the good, the best offense is a good defense. And so he's like, did you scratch the hood of the car? So now they're both yelling at each other. And finally, he just gets on his, on his Vespa and takes off. And that was it. And I'm like, okay, I guess that's done. This is the beginning of our of this trip, by <laughs> the way. Like four it days into the trip. Scarier. Um, let's. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break here. Got to pay the bills, and then we're gonna come back, and we're gonna pick it up. Uh, getting out of it. Well, we got a little bit more in Italy, but then we're gonna get out and make our way. I up can't there. believe, as a radio guy, I can't believe you just used the phrase "pay the bills." Yeah, pay the bills. <laughs> got to do it. Got to do it. Why is that bad? Is that too cliche? I'm, I'm, oh man, you might as well start talking about two for Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> we got a double shot double shot i used to love all that fucking radio shit man back in i remember in philly there's a rock station called wmmr and whenever they they do like a led zeppelin thing and they'd go yeah it's time to get the lead out <laughs> i also loved uh the guys who would talk about uh you gotta know the wattage in the cottage with a fifty thousand watt blowtorch right. you have such a great radio voice. all right we're gonna we're gonna run some commercials How's that? Not pay the bills. Just run. We'll be right back. back. We'll be right back after these messages. Friends, you've probably heard me talk about how much I love fresh Victor cocktail mixers on this podcast and on the Adam Carolla show. But what you've definitely not heard me do before is sing about how much I dig fresh Victor until now. That's right. I wrote and recorded a fresh Victor jingle. Want to hear it? Here it goes. I made my girlfriend Susie a drink with fresh Victor. She gave it a try and she was glad that I picked her. The ingredients are all natural. There's nothing artificial. Their solar power juicing plant is totally beneficial to the planet. Pretty rad tune, right? I was so excited when we finished recording it that I sent it over right away to Fresh Victor's chief mixology officer, H. Joseph Airman. Hello, we are not available now. Please leave your name and phone number after the beep. We will return your call. Dan, it's H. I listened to that Fresh Victor jingle that you wrote, created. Wow. Uh, 
Call me. See? He loves it too. Speaking of loving it, does Fresh Victor ever have a great deal for you, my listeners? Simply go to FreshVictor.com, fill up your shopping cart, and at checkout, enter promo code FVDAN20. That's Fresh Victor Dan 20 to get 20% off your order. Again, I'm talking about pure deliciousness here in a variety of tantalizing flavors at a discounted price. Now's the time to treat yourself to the very best mixers on the market, and that's Fresh Victor. You're a liar, man. Oh, I'm You're a liar. You're oh, yeah. a two-faced friend, backstabbing liar. Yeah. I'm just realizing yeah. this now. It's not right. I'm just saying oh, it's it. all coming Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Really? yeah. Okay. You're a liar. I'm the guy. How does that feel? Who goes around telling people that my grandfather invented the cop salad. That's true. That's me who does that? Yes, that's true. The cop salad, my friend, yeah. was invented in 1937 by Bob God. Don't that's like a ground dirty. That's We're back with Dead Air Dave. we're back. Sticking with the radio cliches. Bring us back in, Dave. Go ahead. And we're back, everybody. Welcome to the show. Do you ever go by Dead Air anymore, or is this Dave? No, Dead Air all the time. I'm still doing radio just part-time. Like, well, yeah, actually, what's I, your show? I, you on. got a podcast. Come on, let's hear it. I have a podcast. It's called the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang New Music Files. Mm. And, uh, and what we do is we bring in an artist that's just released a new record. And we talk about the process of that. And then we will play a clip of a song for you, give you a little taste of the band. And when we come back, we bring into the conversation uh, a radio programmer who was instrumental in helping to break that band and really nurture the band and lift them up. And they get to have the conversation with that. And then sometimes in the third segment, we'll bring in either management or the record label so they can talk about the game from their angle. And uh, it's available everywhere. Podcast stream everywhere you find it. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. New music files. You heard it, friends. Okay, so we're going to jump around a little bit. I know at one point we ended up at the Leaning Tower of Pisa. (laughs) Yeah, we did. We made it to Pisa, where you uh, you played, of course, your sometime favorite pastime of wrong change, paying wrong, and it turned completely against you. So paying wrong was a game that I used to play. It does for reasons that'll become clear. You can't really do it anymore, but. It was a hoot. It worked like this. You'd have to be in a convenience store or some other comparable establishment where you're you're not going to you're not in danger of running into a Harvard train employee, let's say, behind the counter, right? <laughs> and so if you owed 850, for example, you give the clerk $12 and you watch his cranial abacus just start to malfunction, right? Because the bill comes in 1925, hand him $20 and $3 $1 bills and just watch as he tries to figure out what sort of strange change combination you might be after. Now, I say it's obvious. Back then, you could do that. In this day and age where tipping is so out of – you got to tip for things you never had to tip for before, they would right. just think you're tipping them and keep it. So, you, But back then, they'd be like, okay. So – Usually they'll play the game and, and they would do the calculations and you're you're getting you're getting your rocks off like I would and then eventually they like crazy to yourself yeah, yeah they'd give you the eventually they would give you the correct change and assume you made a mistake but the thrill of the game of paying wrong was that you would be encountered you would encounter an incensed counterperson who wants to know why you gave him thirty one dollars on a twenty eight seventy nine dollar tab at that point by rule. You must admit that you deliberately 
paid wrong <laughs> in, order, rule. in order to get a rise out of them. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to say that. And then, you know, if you're tossed from the store without the goods, you lose. If the clerk takes a swing at you, you win. win. Again, okay. you have your fun. I have mine. Okay, Dave? All right. So now we're at, we're at the Tower of Pisa. Travel tip number two. Avoid and, paying um, wrong. And so I think I think I think Dan decides he's going to buy a small figurine of the Leaning Tower yeah, from yeah. a vendor who's there along the park. Yeah. And uh, and you proceed to play the game. Played the and game. And you're and the vendor does what? Well, I I think it was four euros, about five dollars American, right? So I'm thinking to be a gas to play it to pay wrong. So I, I give him seven euros and I wait for the confusion to set in, right? <laughs> And he promptly hands me one euro and then moves on to the next customer. And I'm like, oh, yeah, wait, wait, this isn't correct change. It's just blank stare. What I said had not <laughs> registered uh, because – and then – because first of all, because he didn't speak English. But as Americans are wont to do, like Giovanni Rabisi, when confronted with a language barrier, I just started <laughs> to speak in slow staccato. You, you drop the modifiers and you and get louder. that – Yeah. Change a, not the correcta. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just looking at me like no. uh, like I'm a monkey at the zoo, right? Like, what what yep, the fuck? Yep. And then another clerk who spoke some English interview, what was the problem? I'm like, oh, good, you speak in... And I'm still doing it. I'm like, oh, good, you speak in Iglesias. <laughs> um, uh, this is a nightlight. Uh, uh, she cost a 40 euro, correct? And he's like, see, si. all right, all right. And I gave him a 7 euro. He only gave me one euro return. And they're just looking at me like I'm in the monkey cage. Yeah, yeah. Seven. I gave him a 7 euro. So, why? And they're like, uh, yeah, scusi, sir, but uh, why you give a seven euro? It only cost a 40 euro. And I'm like, because I was paying wrong. <laughs> paying wrong. Yes. I'm now like jumping up and down inside the cage. I got a banana in one hand, swollen red balls in the other. And uh, what is this uh, paying wrong? And I'm like, paying wrong. It's, ah, uh, forget it. <laughs> yeah, keep the dollar. And by the way, euro, what's whatever. going on with this tower? You, you think they'd be able to fix it? Well, like you and I were, were, you know, lamenting over it, looking at it. You, you know, it's not just a tower that's leaning. Like they built a tower beautifully straight and it started to lean over the years. It started leaning like after the first few years they were building it. So it's actually a curved tower. Like they could never really straighten it because then the top of it would be, you know, tipped over to the side. Yeah. Which begged the question for you and I when we were there, why didn't they stop about three stories up and cap it off and just call it the Leaning Rotunda? Rotunda of Pisa. Because But no, they went for another 200 years building the thing. 1178 was when they, five, year, five years after they started building it is when it began to lean. That's like crazy, <laughs> man. So, and they kept working on it for another 200 years. So before we jump ahead to France, you were reminding me off the air of a story when we were trying to get onto the highway in this Mini. And here's the thing oh. with this Mini. It wasn't... It was a good car, but it was a it wasn't very powerful. Well, it was no. it was it was a good car for a little while, and then yeah. problems started. But okay, give this story that you told me yesterday. So oh, yeah, that I didn't again remember. again because I'm I'm stuck on the left side of the car, and the steering wheel's on the right. Whenever you're merging into traffic, you know the, the driver can't just look over his shoulder like you would do here and see the cars coming because they're on the you're on the other side of the car. So it's up to me as the navigator. And we're getting onto this stretch where we're going to go around the bottom of the Italian Alps. And it's like the Autobahn, even though they don't call it the Autobahn. Everybody over there is driving over 100. Oh, yeah. And we're in the little mini trying to get back on the highway. And I'm like, yeah, I'm looking over my shoulder. Yeah, it's clear, Dan. Yeah, yeah, it's clear, Dan. Yeah, it's clear, Dan. It's clear, Dan. Then all of a sudden, this 
road missile comes over the rise. And the only thing, my instant reaction was, holy shit, stop. And Dan slams on the brakes. And I look over at him, he looks at me, he goes, I believe that's the universal phrase for stop quickly. Shit, we would have died, man. That car oh, was so little. It would have obliterated And that you would have died, for sure. Oh, uh, man. Dave, I should point out, Dave's knees are like out the window of the side window, because <laughs> you're all bent up. Even though I hated you that you couldn't drive. But yes, then after yes. a while, I did start to feel bad for you, because you looked Thank really you. uncomfortable in that car. Thank and you. we drove a lot. Oh, I mean, like... Some days were like like eleven hour days of driving. We we went we ended up in Nice at one point, uh, and as Dave mentioned earlier, it was my birthday, July fourteenth, which also happens to be Independence Day in France. It's there, July fourth, July fourteenth, and uh, so we're in Nice, and man, it is just gorgeous place in middle of the summer in incredible beautiful people with far as the eye can see oh, we're yeah. drinking Cronenberg's remember that Cronenberg it's like the yeah, it's the, the yeah. leading beer in France and I remember at one point uh, uh, we'll just call her Chloe gorgeous, Chloe go- Chloe's gorgeous yeah. server we're on the beach and she comes up and we're ordering and we order a couple of beers and Dave says Mersois <laughs> Mersois which translates roughly into Thank evening, right? And now we should. Now we're, I'm realizing. Now we forgot this. We you, you've been butchering. You've been the butchering the language. You've been butchering the language for going on a week at this point. Because go can, back. Can to we Italy. jump back to the count for a second? Okay, yeah, good. So we the, the night of getting our trembling cake. Yes, I'm sitting next to the count, and he's uh, regaling how much he wants to go to the United States. He's just he. We were the darlings of the evening, Dan, you and I, because he loved Americans and he wanted so desperately to tell us about how he wanted to come to America so he could, as he told me, get into a big Cadillac convertible and drive across the country eating Angus beef. I said, well, you guys have cows here. I mean, the the food here tonight is amazing. Yes, yes, but it is not Angus beef. (laughs) And so at some point I told him we were going to Florenze instead of Firenze. So, okay, in in Italian it's Firenze, and in Firenze. the in English you say Florence. Dave combined said, the two, which he was doing a lot. Florenze. On Florenze. Florenze. To which, and then Dancer's ribbing me about it, how I'm butchering it, and and the count stops him and says, "No, no, no, no. I like the way it sounds. I believe I will call it Florenze now." <laughs> so now we can fast forward back to France now. Mersois. Uh, uh, to which, this young lady. I think you meant to say merci. Merci, yes. And thank you. Uh, <laughs> merci. Merci. And uh, <laughs> so the other one was, I think, in Italian too. Like when you say, when someone thanks you, grazie, yeah. you say yeah. prego, right? Prego, Dave's yeah. first, that's your welcome. Dave's first attempt at your welcome was primo. Remember <laughs> that's this? Right. Primo. Yeah. And, I, and then I argued with you because. Uh, prego is just thank you, but primo means like excellent. Great, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> and you Wonderful. said it's better thank to be, you. it's great. better to be great than than welcome. And I was like, yeah, primo <laughs> point you made there. Okay, so Dave was was butchering the language throughout this trip. And oh, yeah. uh, where did we go after Nice? Did we go to Cognac after that? Am I skipping? We went to um, Cognac. Where, where where did um, where did Etrate? And Normandy takes place. That's past. So when we left past Nice, when we yeah. left Nice, Nice, which is obviously the south of France, yeah. we headed west. We headed west into the middle of the country, right. which is Cognac, where nobody 
speaks English. Or, no, right. Or, the, smaller, or at least- the smaller the area, the less English you're going to be hearing. But one thing happened in Nice. That it, we decided we were going to go parasailing oh, over yeah. the Mediterranean Sea. Great idea. And uh, so, again, much like you getting the car keys thrown at you and hitting a guy on a moped and have him, or a Vespa and have him just yell at you and then leave without any litigation, we decide we're going to go parasailing over the Mediterranean. We go to the little booth on the beach. We pay our money. And then she says, over there. And I'm like, well, where's the disclaimer that I need to sign and all that? And she looks at me like, what? Instruction. Like, what, nothing. what are you, an American? Uh, yeah. No, pay them and then go over there and put the – Put the parachute on. I'm like, we, we were laughing about- Zero instructions. Yeah, zero instruction. And and the guys who are instructing you can't speak English anyway. They just point and go, yeah, yeah, see, see, ba, ba, ba. And um, I remember we laughed about the fact without any of this legal paperwork, like if you were to come crashing down and break a leg, instead of people worrying about litigation, they would just, uh, you know, uh, insult you. Like, oh, you don't know how to do this without breaking a leg? Oh, what is wrong with you? You know, this is so it. we did that. Yeah. Dan went first. It was great. My turn. They whip us around. And again, tall and skinny, there was a slight updraft. The boat stops. Humans are supposed to come down slowly with their parachute once the boat stops. The boat stops, and I'm just floating up there. And Dan and the guys are standing on the beach looking at me. Finally, I can hear Dan yell up at me, stop fucking around. <laughs> I'm like, I'm stuck. I don't know how to come down. And uh, they eventually pulled me down, I think, by the rope or something. I don't it know. Was, what. It's pretty amazing because I remember at one point, and we probably were drinking. We Not probably. We were of drinking. For sure. And I remember at one point, I'm like, this is awesome, man. It's my birthday. I'm in France. I'm up way up in the sky parasailing. This boat's just whipping along. And for say, I'm like, what if anything goes wrong at this at this moment? Like, <laughs> I've had zero instruction on what to do. Like, no one said, "Listen, if the thing starts to go down, you got to pull on this." Or, nothing. Right. I go, I don't nope. have. I am at the mercy of people who I. We have no way of communicating, and I got off fine. We got off fine. So, all right. So that's Nice. Now we go up to Cognac, and I don't remember much. Anything really happening up there that was out of the ordinary we actually went to some we went to hennessy right did we go yeah, to we went, uh, and, we, and we went to otar otar that's right we well, and then uh and, and what i want to express to everybody and and i've done it to the friends who have you know i've, I've told stories of since this trip we're not talking about factories we're not no. talking about warehouses these are like medieval castles where they make this stuff and like Hennessy is just across the alley from Otar. It's like the neighboring castles. You look across and there's, oh, I'm in a castle and I'm looking at another castle where they're making spirits. That was something to me that was just absolutely amazing. It, it was floored. incredible. It was really, it yeah. really was. And speaking of incredible, then we leave and we go up to uh, Normandy. Um, yes. We go up there. <laughs> And uh, another another source for bad American jokes for Dan. Oh and I. boy! So endearing go- ourselves to the locals as only we could. Yeah. So we're gonna, you know, this is a sacred place. I mean, everybody's seen Saving Private Ryan. You know, in Omaha Beach. That's where we're going. One of the most historic battles in the history of warfare. The Allies stormed the beach at Normandy. You know, everybody, if you did see the movie, you know the famous American cemeteries there that has all the white uh, headstones that go. Uh, so. That's where we're going to head first. You know, we're going to go there. And, and as we're driving in, we see these billboards 
<laughs> exhorting visitors to golf Omaha Beach. Golf Omaha. Some fucking scum sucking greed head put a golf course like a chip shot away from this place where, you know, basically democ- you know, the freedom in the world was saved, you know, and there's a fucking golf. How did you feel about that, Dave? It was startling. When we turned that corner and came around the bend and that huge billboard was there, come golf, yeah. Omaha Beach. I thought, I think we both, you know, simultaneously just out loud responded with, what the fuck? Yeah. And but then after our uh, our disgust for this, we quickly turned it into how can we entertain ourselves, <laughs> where we proceed to go to a neighborhood pub and then say <laughs> Dan said something along the lines of, "Man, yeah, just got off just got off the golf course and that first nine will kill you." <laughs> Hard to believe we were down on those beaches. That sand tough to get out of. Those bunkers are deep. Um, yeah, no, that was in. It was at the village Aramanche, right? Aramanche, where we stayed. Etrate. Etrate. That's right. Etrate, where where I started almost another international incident. What did you do in it? Well, so let, let me set the stage for everybody. Yes, Etrate do, do. is a fishing village on in northern France. You know, right on the English Channel there, right? And um, yep. it is beyond picturesque. It, it, there are two white sandstone cliffs on either side of this tiny village and in, and in between there's a little valley and it's just fishermen with their old wooden bo- I mean I'm not talking about commercial I'm talking about like old wooden boats like old man in the sea yes. and stunning place and we end oh, up staying at this hotel French baroque architecture uh, just absolutely turn okay. of the century Now get to your in, international incident here. So then we we go to a restaurant that's near our hotel or perhaps it's the restaurant in the hotel, I don't recall, but it was close. So we walked to it and we went there a couple of times. And in France, you know, you don't have snotty teenagers waiting on you while they're, you know, waiting to go home and get high or whatever or play video games. No, you have career servers. Yeah. And this man who was uh, waiting on us, I mean, man, adult man, older than we were. At, the, at, at some point, we get to the end of the meal or wherever point, whatever portion of the meal, he brings out the cheese platter. Mm. I'm not a fan of cheese. I just really, if, if I could avoid eating cheese, I do. So he comes to Dan and here's the cheese platter. And Dan's like, oh, I would like to try this and that and that. And he gives him a little, comes around to me. And for you, sir, I said, ah, no, thank you. And he pauses and looks at me. But it's, uh, it's our cheese. Yeah, it looks lovely, but I don't care for any. The cheese is highly recommended. And I'm like, I think I'm okay. And finally, Dan is like kicking me under the table. He's like, just pick some fucking cheese. cheese. And I said, okay, okay, I I will have some, please. I said, but you know what I would like? I would like something. And then with this disdain, the waiter looks at me and goes, something mild? I said, sure, that'd be great. Something mild. And I think he almost practically threw the, the cheese at me, you know? (laughs) <laughs> and then and then to add insult to injury, we, we liked him so much, we were chatting him up, which I'm sure just annoyed the shit out of him. Then to uh, to really pour salt in the wound, we thought it'd be great to leave him a big fat tip, which we learned later is a complete insult. Insult, 100%. And the other part of this dinner was we're up on one of the cliffs. Overlo- I mean, to say it was... Beyond romantic, there are seagulls going, it's it's dusk, it's just yeah. incredible. And I look over at Dave, now we've been traveling for a while, and I look over and Dave's sitting across from me and I said, hey, you know, man, I 
don't take this the wrong way. I love you, but goddamn, I wish you were a fucking woman right now. I really do because if you were to take a, a, a romantic partner there, just a, oh. a woman or or I were gay, either way, I she'd, wish, be, she'd become romantic. Whoever you took there would become this a romantic. Was, partner. It, it was impossible. Like you could not have. Yeah. I. I almost did kiss you. I really did. That's how close it was. Um, and then didn't we go, ne- we went to a town next door where um, Benedictine was, the Benedictine. Yeah, we went to the Benedictine. Again, another castle where they make spirits. Fécamp. Fécamp. Yes. And the crazy part of this thing was we get over there. This is a gorgeous old castle. Everybody knows Benedictine. There just happens to be this insane Andy Warhol exhibit going on in the castle. Like, yeah. Yeah. crazy stuff all the marilyn monroe uh prints and all this like a, a, a lamborghini that he had painted and yeah we were getting really lucky and then oh, there were times we amazing. weren't so lucky which is what would come next which is now we're gotta we gotta get to england we gotta drop this this beamer or excuse me the mini off mini. and yeah. i had we we've been having some problems right at this point with the mini yeah, yeah, it was it was becoming very finicky. Uh, sometimes it would start, sometimes it wouldn't. Sometimes yeah. it would die while we were driving. Driving, it. yeah. And so we're like, uh, this is a little scary. Now we had to get on what's called the, what's known as the channel that goes beneath the English Channel between France and connects to England. And yeah. when you put cars on there, it's it's kind of like a, a ferry. Everybody drives yeah. in. You're in a row, and you stop. Turn your car yeah. off. Weren't you surprised that? You sit in the car for your ride. I thought we would like it was like maybe double decker. You park below and go up and sit like in a a, a bus. You seat sit in the or car. Whatever. No, you sit in your car. Put the parking brake on, and you, they they bring them in. They wave you in and put you almost bumper to bumper in a row on like a car conveyor car, belt, essentially, yeah. kind of that goes underneath the English Channel. And then when you get to the other side, you start you your car out. and you and go. Out. And and what I learned, the people who uh, are local there and travel the channel regularly apparently find that to be a good time for a rave so they all open their car doors and pop out and crank up music and they're just dancing around the cars and i'm like wow okay not a bad idea fun and we were having a good time right up until the point when it came time to turn the car on to get off the channel and the mini cooper s was like you know i think i've had enough I don't think I'm going to go another another inch. And th- I mean, it's there's nothing happening. Like, it's not even like, won't turn over. And, it's just and nothing. There, and there is an endless row of cars parked behind us. We have now blocked the channel. Yeah, and I'm going to assume that they weren't going to be friendly to us. Like, it no. wasn't going to be like, hey, everybody, can you help push us out of the channel? So I'm no. fucking, pa- I mean, I'm sweating. I'm panicking. I'm like, Dave, what do we do if we can't get this fucking car to start? Like, we're going to block <laughs> up the English the channel. And what happened? Did it just start? I don't even remember. I guess I, eventually, I it, out or eventually it, it, by some, uh, I don't know, uh, incredible miracle, it just fired up. And you were like, okay, get in, let's go. So we're at this point, a couple maybe two hours south of London, I guess. And, and we were, yeah. we didn't have enough petrol. So we had to stop and fill up. Yeah. Remember the first time we bought petrol? <laughs> no. We were like, this is 2000. And we're thinking to ourselves, you know, we pull into a, a gas station, a petrol station, as it were, and we see the price and we're like, hey, this isn't that bad. You know, it's like two fifty a gallon. This is back in, you know, 2000. About two fifty a gallon. That's not a bad deal. But then we forgot, of course, that's liters. 
Yes. So back then we were paying like six fifty a gallon. It was a lot. Yeah, that trip. That was the one thing about the trip, and nobody was giving us gas money, were they? I think we had to pay for our own gas. They paid for. I mean, I like the way you you stated that as if it was a complaint. They paid for our rooms. They paid for our Everything. food. All Not they our did gas. was pay for the gas, essentially. <laughs> so we we stopped to get petrol, and that was the point where our our little Mini Cooper S and and you know what that that thing got us. It did good by us, but that was it the moment when it, when it said, I'm done. I'm tapping out. We're not going. We are really not going any further in this car. No. To which I called. Yeah. Yeah. I called. Hydropla- hydroplaned our way around the Swiss Alps with that <laughs> rainstorm and <laughs> sleet. Right. That, and that thing kept going. It was, so it it earned, was great. It, it, was it great. earned its keep. It earned its keep. So there it was. It died a quick death yeah. in, uh, in England. And I call BMW. Get on a payphone. I realize there's no, um, no mobile. We're on the payphone. I'm trying to get somebody on the line that has any idea what I'm talking about. I finally do. And I'm not being like, oh, man, you got, thank you guys for giving us this car. But we, I'm yelling at him. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell kind of shit are you pulling here giving us this fucking car? And they're like, oh, we're so sorry. You know, and again, it was BMW owned at that point. And I, they sent like a brand new fucking amazing BMW to pick us up right at this gas yeah. petrol station. And, and by that point, how far we were at that point, we're only like an hour, 45 minutes south of central London, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they came and got us and we went in and then I remember we went to Trafalgar Square. Yeah. But what before else? we did that, when we were still way on the south of, of uh, England, like right over the white cliffs of Dover. Yes. We stopped at our first real English pub. Okay. And I remember we walked in and there are all these taps, you know, uh, for Guinness. That's right. And, and, and they had these little paper flags on all the taps that said, now super cold. And I remember we walked up to the bar and the barmaid looked at us and she's like, hello, love, what would you like today? And I said, how about a Guinness? Oh, would you love to try it super cold? And I said, sweetheart, that's the way we always have it. She's like, oh, American. <laughs> but uh, that was the that was the pub that had the sign as you went to the bathroom that said no drug dealing, wasn't it? It might have been. Is that the one where I also asked them if they speak American? <laughs> no, that was when we got, that was right across from the Hippodrome when we were in London proper. Boy, they love that joke. Go into a pub in England. Yeah, where I thought we were going to get thrown right into the gutter. <laughs> Do you speak American? And then you left, right? You went, I think you'd, ta- you'd had enough at that point too. You were like our mini Cooper. You're like, ah, there's nothing more. Well, the thing, I was, I was game for staying, but then I got a message somehow from another radio station in Phoenix that if I wanted a job, I better get back because they were ready to give it to me. So I'm like, ah, damn it. Unemployment over already. I wish you would have stayed because I'm sure you would have talked me out of what I would (laughs) then do later, which would become, um, I decided I, okay, I was walking around London by myself. Dave's gone. We'd had this epic journey. And I'm stopping at pubs and I'm drinking. And I got I got a nice buzz going on. And I walk by this salon. I mean, a nice salon. And I don't know what possessed me. I go, you know, I'm going to get a haircut. Just going to go in here. This looks like a very expensive place. It wasn't ye old supercuts. I got a little cash in my pocket. Uh, I'm going to go in here and get it. And I go in and I remember my stylist name was Lincoln. And uh, he was very flamboyant, Lincoln. And and I think he wanted me to tap into my inner flamboyance, gave me another drink, which I probably didn't need, at which point I agreed with him that I should dye my hair blonde. Bleached blonde. Bleached blonde. Like like tips. And now I'm going to say this. I 
loved that experience. I was in that chair and I've never had this before. And I must've been in that salon for four hours and they're, they're shampooing my hair and the pampering and rubbing my shoulders and they put the color in and, and everybody's kind of, I'm just feeling so fabulous. And I came out and my hair, I look like Simon Lebon or Flock of Seagulls. I had the thing going and I thought it was super cool. Right. <laughs> Only I was like, 10 years too late, but okay. Oh, yeah. I was like, look at me, look at me. And I had another trip right after this to go to Borneo to cover the Eco Challenge, which was Mark Burnett of Survivor fame. And that was his first show. And the Eco Challenge was, is, still goes every once in a while, an adventure race. The baddest ass motherfuckers on the planet compete in this thing. And and you're there. And I had a couple of friends that were over there. So it's not a a she-she posh little thing. And I show up in Kuala Lumpur couple friends I knew were there and I, and I get, and I go, what the hell happened to you? <laughs> My hair. <laughs> and proceeded to be made fun of. Like, I'm, of course. Oh, the racers are like, dude, what, uh, what are you thinking? I, people I didn't even know were like, what, what? I'm like, is it that bad? Is it really that bad? I'm going to, guys, I'm going to find a picture. Go to, go to at the imbiber, my Instagram. I'm going to find a picture. I know I have one somewhere. I'll, I'll get some pictures of me and Dave too. And, and I'll post them, uh, where, but you got to see this hair. It's yeah. Uh, cause, cause I can picture it. Of course you're about four days unshaven. So you yeah. have dark Brown beard and mustache going and then white hair. White hair, yeah. quite a combination. You you were guy fiering it way. Before that's exactly that's the problem. The roots were still dark. <laughs> you know, if he if he'd done it completely platinum blonde, I'd have been like, all right, it's fucking, it's a cool statement. But it was like the tips. It was Guy Fieri, and I'm like, I that Fieri, looks never you know. that look doesn't look good now. It didn't look no. good then. But no. I learned a lesson. You did lesson learned. You when see, it was, when making bad decisions, uh, have Dave around because you you. Did, you <laughs> But I'm surprised. We got out of a lot of shit on that trip, man. Immediately. (laughs) Oh, so good. And uh, it's just one tiny little note I'd like to end with. Yes. For me, a a, a really a a personal, wonderful memory was you and I are sitting in this uh, plaza near the Duomo in Florence, and we pick out a postcard, and we write a little message, and uh, we mail it to Hunter S. Thompson. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the closest. I mean, you that's and Hunter a, S. Thompson. I was, I was were, friends were with Hunter friends. at the time, yeah. And, but that was the closest uh, association I've ever had with Hunter S. Thompson. And I'm sure he had that writing. thing framed somewhere. Yes. Yeah. He's like, hey, these two guys. Uh, that's right, man. Well, we, it, was, it was a wild adventure. We had, for those of you that are tied into the spirits world that are listening, when we were in Turin, I didn't even mention this, we met Terry Sullivan, who was sort of my mentor in the business, used to write the mixology column for GQ before that word got overused. Uh, The late Gaz Gary Regan was there with his then-wife, Marty Regan, who was also an author in the spirits world. Dale DeGroff, um, and, and I've talked about this before, we went out, and this is something we left out of this, Dave, was we go out with Dale on the town, and this was pre- craft cocktail resurgence in the United States. And Dale was the leader of that movement, right? Dale was the godfather of the modern craft cocktail movement in the U.S. And I remember we're going around and he's got us trying a Maro and a, we tried a Negroni and he said, oh, yeah. and Dave would be, uh, Dave, and, and Dale would say, you know, this is all, 
this is all coming back. It's in Dave and I are like, and this is when people were drinking, you know, absolute and fucking Alabama slammers. And, and we're looking at him like, <laughs> Harvey Wallbanger. This motherfucker's crazy. Nobody's going to be doing, you know, and, uh, who's going to be drinking Negronis? Uh, and little did we know. I still do to this day. Oh man. I but that was it, Cafe Torino. That's where we had yep. it. And Cafe we, Torino. I mean, it was an epic journey, my friend. The only thing we didn't do when we were in Turin was steal that shroud. I wanted to. Oh, I know it. We could have. No could've. one even gave us directions to that damn thing. <laughs> Nobody cared. We couldn't find that. <laughs> Dave got off the, no. randomly got off this thing and there's the hotel. But we it was, it was an amazing shroud. trip, man. And, and it's, fuck it. We got it. We got it. We need to have another adventure. Oh, soon. yeah. Soon. I think we yeah, do it. Soon, I hope. I'm just waiting, waiting for another opportunity. Scandinavia. Oh, that would be awesome. There we go. Go see my, go see my people. Dan all and the Dave. Other peop- do all Norway. the other people who can't fit under uh, the steering wheel of a, of a mini. Yeah, <laughs> I need to go see my people there. Dave, where does everybody uh, find you on there? You on the social uh, medias? Yeah, you- I'm all over the place. I'm on, uh, yeah, I'm on uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. and. Uh, What's your Instagram it's, handle? It's uh, some kind of dead air Dave thing. Okay. Dead Air, Dead Air Dave 0013, Dead Air Dave, I don't know. I'm sure if you search Dead Air Dave, you'd probably find me. I'm the, if there are more than one, I'm the skinny or white guy. Have you hopped on threads yet? I have not hopped on threads. Threading? I'm waiting, I'm waiting for people to work the bugs out. Yeah. I'm on it, but yeah. I haven't been using it. I remember the first day everybody was fucking getting- I knew it was going to be a traffic jam that first day, so I was I just like, wow, this is so it. cool, and I haven't looked at it again since. I need to get off of social media, but I am right now on it, at The Imbiber on Instagram. I am still on Twitter, at The Imbiber. I don't know when I'm going to get off Twitter. I keep threatening. It's going to happen. And uh, the podcast is WWD underscore podcast. Next week on the program, we've got uh, the folks from Fortaleza Tequila. Right, Ooh. my favorite tequila in all the land. We're gonna be chatting up with them. We're doing a recording on on Sunset Boulevard at State Social House. That's gonna be fun. Uh, Dave, we're gonna. I want to get you back on more often, man. I need. Uh, I would love to. I, I love that voice of yours. I think it's. Uh, and, well, thanks so it's much. Everything mine's we, not. We want. We also want to talk about things like. I mean, you know, you're the imbiber, and I live now in Morro Bay on the central coast of California, and there is a micro, not even a microbrewery. It's so small. It's a nano brewery. Okay. It's called Three Stacks and a Rock. And, uh, and I have a great story about one of their ales named after one of their dogs and how I contributed to their uh, business, so right, to this, speak. This will be, we're going to be. That's for another day. We're, do you want me to make you our official Morro Bay correspondent? That would be awesome because there's so much happening here. <laughs> well, welcome to the team, Dave. You are now uh, what we're drinking proud. with Dan Dunn's official. Oh, you know what? We'll give you the whole Central Coast. I love it. Okay. You're the Central Coast of California. Official correspondent. Well, then, the, the next uh, the next assignment I hope you put me on is anything that has to do with Firestone Walker, because I'll drink that stuff all day. As you know, I was just there. That's Dave gave me shit. I, I was I was so close to you, and didn't even. I know it. Think didn't that. even give me a holler. I'm sorry. All right. Apologize. Well, that's okay. We're back together again. I'm rude, uh, but uh, always great to see you, my friend. You too. Thanks for having me on. And everybody out there, thanks for listening. I know you got a lot of choices uh, in the podcast sphere. You could be listening to Smartless right now. You could be listening to Mark Maron right now. You could be listening to fucking Joe Rogan. But you're you can listening listen to, uh, to us. The, KK, the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang New Music That's, Files right that now. That one you should be listening to. All right. See you later, right. everybody. Damn it. See ya.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.